0: if we are called names or attacked verbally, um, that we are to bless in return. Mm. My question is, is that simply in the manner in which we respond to them, that we respond in love, or is there something beyond that? How How are we supposed to bless them?
1: That that's a good question because the answer I don't think is bless you, my child, you know something like that. Um, I think it's helpful to identify based on what it's not. It's not more revilings. It's not threats. I think it's kind speech. I think it's um, making it clear you're not offended. Um, situation specific might depend on what that's like, but the person should get the notion this person is not responding like my enemy. This person's trying to respond like a friend. Um, so without the situation, it's difficult to know what it is, because again, it's not just, pleasure. I'll be praying for you, I mean, it's, it. I think it would just be the notion would be responding in love and kindness, and responding, looking for ways to be, you're going to overcome evil with good, I, I'm going to out love this person, and hopefully win them, as, as a friend, and ultimately as a child of God, if I can, um, but situation specific, but it's beyond just platitude, someone calls you, you know, Whatever they want to call you, and you say, "Well, bless you." That's, I didn't sneeze. Sorry, you know. So, so yeah, it's it's going to be finding ways to speak and be a blessing. (laughs) Maybe the notion might be more like be a blessing, and your words might be a blessing to them, um, as opposed to an opposition to judgment, threats, anger.
2: Yeah, I went through a, a few situations in life like this, so one of the things that helped uh, Proverbs 26 six two, like a sparrow like you know the bird and it's fleeing so a curse without a cause does not alight mm. so just to think about what is being said about me is it true mm. just, to, just to check it right. and so if it's true then if there's something that I need to change I consider my ways and right. change right. Um, but if it's the person uh, if there's something, maybe there's something that they see in me that is just bothering them and it's uh, it's really causing friction in their relationship, what I started doing is I started praying for them. And then I started looking for acts of kindness that I could do to help them. Um, and then over time, that relationship started getting better. So I just felt like God was putting... Um, putting this opportunity before me to really work on on helping them. And then lastly, in other relationships, it was, I felt like God was working in my heart to say, well, there's areas maybe that I need to consider. Maybe there's little things that I'm doing that could be offensive towards people. And so there's just little areas where I needed to make application in my life. So...
1: No, well, and our culture assumes today more than ever that if I disagree with you, I hate you. We want to prove them wrong. We want to say, I disagree with you, and I love you. It's like, I disagree with your lifestyle choice. Do you want to come over for dinner? I, I mean, that's the type of thing we should, as we're trying to outreach um, to, our, to our neighbors is especially once they learn we disagree with them, their knee, knee jerk is going to be, okay, so you hate me, you reject me, you have no value for me. Looking for ways, no, 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 no. Even while I disagree with you, you have value, you have a dignity that I will honor, and I, I want to try to love and serve you if I can, and, and trying to find ways to, to correct that misunderstanding. Because, again, our culture assumes if you disagree, you hate or you're fearful of. Um, there's no, They have no category for a real disagreement. The only reason you might disagree is because you're fearful or you're a hate-monger and a bigot, or both. And so our challenge is to try to, no, no, we can have a real loving disagreement, um, and that's going to be difficult because they're going to be hard sold on that. Who's next? Where are we at? Oh, Pat.
3: I thought the message was so applicable today. One of the things we str- struggled with in our ministry down at the camp was um, trying to maintain some code of behavior, <laughs> with kids coming from a lot of different backgrounds, and um, and not confusing the gospel of grace. And we finally came to a point probably 10 years ago that we had kind of almost like a scout's code that they signed. We just said, this is, a, this is a code we live by in this community. And um, we kept s- some of our behavioral issues somewhat separate from our message, not that the message doesn't relate to those things at right, times. Right. But uh, but I think as you were talking this morning, I thought that's really something that we have to all live out in our lives that we are able to love people and not come across in a judgmental way while we share the truth and reach out to them. So anyway, that was that. <laughs>
1: well, thank you, Bridget. Oh, Chris is on it. You guys are like playing zone. Your swap blocks well, or your zones are switching. Okay. Basketball? Okay.
0: Can you um, break down the metaphor of salt and light practically? Sometimes I get confused, like, what salt is supposed to metaphorically
1: mean. Salt makes people thirsty. It's... it's, oh. it's so light is exposing, and salt is, is, is giving flavor. It's either giving flavor or taste or creating thirst. Being salt and light is the notion of looking different, tasting different... Light being different. So as people spend time with you, um, as they're in your home, as they're with your family, they should detect you You have a different God, you have a different set of values, you're, you're living a different... You diff- your life's different. Um, there, there always is going to be parts of our faith that are appealing and beautiful and offensive to the world. Um, always. Jesus... Um, Even today, the culture loves Jesus turning the other cheek and Jesus feeding the 5,000 and Jesus, you know, healing and Jesus mingling with the poor and the downtrodden. The culture thinks that's wonderful. Uh, It's Jesus' pronouncement of judgment on the Pharisees. It's Jesus' insistence in the word of God being every jot and tittle. It's Jesus affirming uh, the creation account of marriage. That's where the cultures could have a tough time with Jesus. And... You could flip it around, you could go over to the Middle East, and they're going to love our sex ethic, and they're not going to in an honor culture, they're not going to like turning the other cheek. So there's always going to be elements that are going to be attractive. We want to, we, the, the phrase Titus uses is adorn or dress up the doctrine of God, so we don't change the doctrine of God, we don't change our beliefs. But we really do believe these things are beautiful, and so try to put them on display that someone might actually see them as beautiful. So I, I think that the biblical ordering of the family is a beautiful thing, and I expect most unbelievers haven 't seen much of that so i 'm hoping if they see my family not that we 're doing it perfectly, they see something that's different. You guys are doing your home different i mean i 've had people just be amazed we eat meals together. I mean, literally tell me I grew up in a house we never ate a common meal that's one yeah. little thing you know. but it's it's it 's not that we 're never to speak we 're looking for opportunities to speak, but the default seems to be let I mean, let me get a Bible, go to First Thessalonians. I had a passage we were to look up and I didn't look it up. But First Thessalonians four um, is again sort of the status quo. As we're looking for opportunities, as we're looking for places and times to speak, the status quo in First Thessalonians four let me get there, there it is, in verse uh, nine. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. There's there's the status quo. No, absolutely. There're gonna be moments of boldness. We're looking to to share the words of life with our neighbor. But the but I think the default stance is that working quietly, being at peace with all men, keeping our head down, trying to live godly lives in front of unbelievers, and then looking for those opportunities to speak the truth, to speak the gospel, to evangelize. And I I think part of the salt and light you're talking about is just gonna be that repeated refrain in Peter of living a different life. Let me, go, to, go to Peter. I'll give you another example. Um, he, uh, in Peter, again and again, the notion of how we live for foreign believers, either bringing them to shame so when they try to revile us, they can't. Um, but he, he pictures an unbelieving husband coming to faith precisely by his wife's holy living. And so that's sort of the logic is that by suffering well, by returning a blessing for a curse, that the Holy Spirit can use that to convict, to show man, um, they 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 want what the what the world's hoping is is that when they mistreat us, the bitterness, the judgmentalism, the bigotry that they believes in us will then come out, you know, and we'll just you know start spouting off angry things. When it comes out are blessings, when it comes out to good works. That can be very convicting. So here's here's First Peter three. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. That's salt and light. It's don't nag them into the kingdom. Now, there, I think there is an assumption that she shared the gospel at some point. I mean, this isn't like, you know, preach Christ, and if you have to, use words. Which is like saying, feed the homeless, and if you have to, use food. Um, but the assumption, I think, is this, this husband knows the word. He's disobedient to the word. He he's, has some knowledge of it. And now she's just going to, through her conduct, pray that God, that that might win him to faith. And again and again, in Peter, that notion of your conduct for unbelievers is I think what the salt and light is, that you might live a life that the Spirit could use to convict or that the Spirit might use to show is beautiful, and I want some of that, something like that. that that's, if anyone wants to add to that with salt and light, that's my best understanding of it. Greg, in the back.
4: Well, I'd like to give a, a specific example of when that was important to me. When uh, Pastor Joel came to me 43 years ago, uh, to share the gospel with me, one of the things that that caused me to listen because i'd heard the I had heard the message before, mm. but I was resistant and the The thing that uh, really made a difference when Joel spoke to me was that i couldn 't get over how happy a person this person was, and he wasn 't uh, sour he wasn 't um, uh, my experience before had been a jehovah 's witness. Mm who was hating every minute he was spending in front of me. And uh, that's who I thought a, a serious Christian was. And Joel was just the antithesis of that. And, and uh, it really, I mean, it didn't, it isn't what brought me to the Lord. I know that. I mean, I know the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to the, to the message. But Joel's demeanor and his, uh, his countenance uh, really played a big part in, in my being willing to listen and being willing to take his words seriously.
1: And was it you who, when he came to witness you, tried to sort of you leave the TV on and ignore him? Was that that you? was Lois. <laughs> was Lois. Okay. No, but I'm saying... Lois did that. But if I remember this correctly, there's a subtle attempt to be insulting, and Joel wasn't insulted, and he didn't say, oh, if I'm coming and talking to you, you better turn... Like, he was willing to be insulted mildly, right, willing to be mildly dishonored, yeah. didn't bother me. Like, again, that's you know, I mean, that's kind of rude. You go talk to somebody and they're just, uh-huh, hold on. the com- Hold on, wait a second. Yeah, okay, yeah. And that, that, there's subtle ways we can to let people know we don't like them, we're dishonoring them. And
4: We yeah. were watching a tennis match and uh, <laughs> we don't even care for tennis, particularly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got the commercials, Joel. Oh, wait, it's coming back on. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. praise God for that what else
5: i I appreciate the message today because I think sometimes in when you are out in the workforce um and today's quote unquote team building activities, um they're not always you know go paint a picture or you know whatever it is, but a few years ago um a co coworker uh, said that a f- another coworker's daughter plays in a band and they thought we should all get together go to dinner and Then listen to her play in a band and I'm thinking okay. It's mellow music. We can handle that And this is where you know, you're not really paying attention to maybe where the location is what time of the year in June it's happening um, and come to find out the week of it I called Al and I said so this daughter of a coworker is a lesbian, and it's Gay Pride Week, and we're in the East Village for dinner. So we talked about it, and God was not giving us any reason to something else coming up that weekend that, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize this was going on with the grandchildren. So we went to dinner, and then I think, was it about 8 o'clock or something like that, we had bill and everything we're like all right we're gonna go guys and they're like you're leaving already we haven't even like seen the band we're like yeah we know but we have church tomorrow so by the time we get home and you know get ready we you know we go to bed early you know we're old we're boring kind of thing and and left but it was one of those tough decisions where it's like do you just look at him and kind of have that prideful I am not going to be going to that restaurant or anything with you it was just a matter of okay we went to dinner we did the little team building thing and we're going home now. <laughs> Thanks.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, it's 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 challenging. Yes, Wanda. We'll get there. F- oh, it's a race. Oh.
0: I understand everything you're saying about the compassion and the salt light. I agree with all of that. I understand what Marion's saying, but what I struggle with is the fine line of accepting yeah. your sin like say you have a pair of this is a live example not me personally but a good friend um, the neighbors get together once a month to play cards and one of the couples is a lesbian married couple. I would be unable to do that. I could be very kind and nice. To me that I'm accepting I'm just acting just fine. I mean if the conversation comes up I might try to find a scripture but Okay, so what, what's the dividing line? In, do you understand what I'm saying, Pastor Jeremy? I understand,
1: what, I understand what you're saying, and I, will, I, I don't know enough particulars, so I'll just, based on what you've said alone, I'd push back and say, I'm not seeing how you're approving of her conduct by playing a game of cards with her. Now maybe, I, I don't mm-hmm. know enough particulars, but my question would be, if it was somebody who is living with her boyfriend, would you have the same response? If it was somebody who um, was covetous, if you had somebody who was a Mormon who was an idolater, would you have the same response? Because I'd want to then not be respecters of sins. That, that's... You no, know, th- think it through, and without knowing the particulars, I'm not going to say you're wrong, but the yeah. thing, the question is, what makes that sin different than a Mormon?
0: And I totally or... get that. Yeah, yeah. But even like the example, you're working with somebody, hey, let's all go here every Friday after work or something. <laughs> I don't know, I just... I th- it does kind of border on well Wanda's a Christian, she's cool with this. She hangs out with us all the time. I mean that that's kind of what I'm mm. that's where I struggle. And I've been invited to so many weddings where the girl is living with the guy. I the showers. I had to just stop going to the showers because
1: no, and I think, there is a sense, so, I think there's a sense. I think there's a sense at weddings and showers. You're coming to celebrate, right? So, mm-hmm. I think there's a, a real sense in which my presence here does communicate, yay, right? Mm-hmm. And if, so, if I don't think what I'm, if would I, I think, there's a very real. I mean, this is where you got to think carefully through. I absolutely think there's a very valid argument you made. I tend to agree with the notion that going to a wedding reception, going to a, things like that, those are all. Approving, because you're here, but there's, would they want you there if they knew you weren't celebrating with them? I mean, that's really the question. Would you want me at your wedding if you knew I didn't think you should be getting married, mm-hmm. right? Um, and is my presence there an assent of, 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 of approving of it? If they don't do this anymore, but if they still did, the, does anyone here have a reason to object? Would you get up and, I might have to get up and speak. You know, do you want me coming to your wedding? <laughs> Probably not. No, no, so I think that's fair, but I do think you gotta think through it. Um, and I do think Peter's saying we're not gathering with them for their debaucherous meetings. Like, hey, we're all meeting at the bar afterwards, and we're going to do karaoke and get drunk. I probably might think, yeah, I'm not going to do that with you. Um, cards? I don't know. I mean, work work it through, think it through. But I'm not. Yeah, I, I'm not immediately seeing how you're approving of it. Um, now the challenge might be in there. They may well corner you and say, so you're a Christian. Do you you agree? And then have to be ready to be like, do you really want to know what I think? <laughs> yeah, I was just or, thinking they would assume that, hey, she's okay with it. So, that, I don't know. No, no, no. think it through, but that's precisely the types yeah. of things I'd encourage all of us to think through, um, and make sure that we're being consistent, and not making the list of some sins, but not others. That, that's, that's, the, you know, I had somebody ask me whether or not someone being uh, uh, homosexual would mean I couldn't vote for them, in, for a political office, and I say, no more than someone being a Mormon or someone being Catholic or someone being an atheist, like, as a factor that alone like, I mean, unless, I mean, it's one thing if you want to say I'm only going to vote for people who I believe are regenerate believers. Okay, yeah sure, anyone in habitual sin, I can't vote for. But if you're willing to vote for an unbeliever, if you are, then I don't know why you're necessarily stacking your sins, you know. Um, I'll vote for an adulterer, but I won't vote for homosexual. That doesn't that doesn't strike me as, as something I could justify. Um, that, that's all. And that's that's the, the subtle temptation um, of us is we get comfortable with some things. I actually, I'm far, personally, I'm far more offended by adultery because of the betrayal than I am of homosexuality. Far more. I have far more disdain for for adultery um, because of the oath-breaking and the betrayal of, of loyalty. I, I think... Homosexuality is wrong, and I think it's against nature, and I think that people are sinning against their bodies, and I think there's going to be judgment. But I don't see the betrayal that I see with adultery. So personally, um, I'm, I, I'm far more offended by that. I have a harder time being loving to somebody who I'm interacting with if I know, especially just recently. they've, they've you know, I'm talking about someone who's unrepentant, someone who's just done that. If I know I'm interacting with someone, I have a much harder time being nice and not wanting to... <clears throat> Just because of that. But, um, but these are precisely the things I'm hoping we work through and think through, Wanda. So I just want to encourage you prayerfully think through that. Yes, who's next? Oh.
6: Yeah, along those same lines, I have a niece that is uh, gay and didn't know it for a long time. But then finally learned that she, she was. And then uh, got an invitation in the mail for, to, join her, to join her wedding with, with uh, yeah. another woman. And, um, I think I spoke to you about this a little bit, and it was very, very tough because we were fairly close for quite a, you know, for many years, but, uh, when this came about, I didn't know quite how to handle it. So, after talking to Jeremy, I eventually decided just to tell her that, that I did not approve of what she was doing, and so I could not attend her wedding because of that, and told her I loved her, and, uh. Everything seemed pretty good, so we have since then are still close. Good. She understands how I feel, and she understands how I and how she feels. Don't agree with it, right. but uh, by the same token, we still talk and we have a good time together and right. get together quite often. So, it's just it's it's really tough, but sometimes you have to let people know where you
1: stand. Yeah, I I'm just saying. Look, I I can't celebrate this with you. I, I, George I got one oh comment.
4: oh sorry. Chris. <laughs> um, so Chris uh, so actually my mom lives in Norwalk and the neighbors across the street are uh, lesbian married lesbians and uh, they have small children like ours and so when we go over there um, our kids are always want to go out there and ask to play with them and uh, so far we have let them go out there and I- Ayla has kind of noticed that there's not okay. a dad or yeah. a male figure around um, right. but where do we draw that line with I, allowing our children? Well, I, I think
1: that's a totally valid, valid issue. Um, there's a number of factors with kids. We we were, I was trying to befriend uh, a couple, uh, two, two women who were married, and the, the prospect had come to mind if we could, if we could, if I could befriend them better, to have them over for dinner, and really wrestling, like okay, what do I do? On um, a number of fronts, I don't, I wouldn't want to, uh, in their face, you know, I, I wouldn't want to affirm them as married. I wouldn't want to just provoke them, but what do I tell my kids? They're going to be confused. This is, I think those are valid, real issues, because how do you tell your kids, well, they're not really married, but we have to pretend, no, you're not, pretend- <laughs> like, that, the subtlety of that and the the fineness of that line, um, I don't know if my kids have the maturity to even handle that. So. I think when we were trying to do that, they ended up. the person I knew ended up moving, changing jobs, and so I haven't seen them since. Um, but uh, I thought maybe we'd have the kids go down and have like a late dinner or something just to avoid that complication. The, I don't have a simple answer. It is complicated. Your kids are going to be exposed to things. Your kids are going to ask questions, uh, it, and you're going to have to have, help them interpret things. You may not want to expose your kids to some things. You might say that my child is not old enough or mature enough yet to handle this. Um, you know, Right now, some of my younger kids are not aware of the practice of abortion. I think that's wonderful right now that they aren't aware of that. They need to become aware of it at some point. But I don't know if Zadik needs to know about that just yet. Um, so for all those factors, yeah, I could see wisdom of why I'm not going to let my kids go over here, both because I may not want to even expose them to something that's going on, and because I don't trust them to keep their mouth shut. I mean, the same problem I have with my kids, we don't, we don't do Santa Claus, but we're constantly telling them, you don't ruin that for the, like, that's other families' decisions to make. But, you know, I can imagine my kids wanting to be like, hey, ah, you know. And so you got that danger too. What if you tell them, well, what's going on over across the street? Well, actually, they're defying God and protect. <laughs> my dad says you're, de- you know. And so on all of those fronts with children, But I think with kids in particular, there is a very valid biblical approach to protecting. Um, In the Old Testament, you don't teach them the names of the pagan gods. You don't learn their practices. And so you want to ultimately, you don't want to shelter them all their life. But there's a very real aspect both of sheltering them from evil and from exposing them into it. So part of the whole thing, I think we're grappling with it. It takes wisdom, discernment. And it is not easy to walk that fine line of being peaceable, minding our own business, and not winking at sin and approving of sin. And to ask a seven-year-old kid to do that might be a bit much. So for all those reasons, I don't have a simple answer other than to say, yeah, you got to think that one through and figure out what your kids can handle and what's wise. And you may well decide for a number of reasons. I'm afraid my kid might say something stupid, or I'm afraid my kid might be confused. Or I'm a fr- for any number of reasons, I don't want my kids d- playing over here. They're like they're, the math in each family is going to be a little different, but those are completely valid issues and concerns that you know go above and beyond what we talked about this morning. That that you have to work through. That that's not much of an answer other than to say, yeah, you got to work through that. <laughs>
7: <laughs> um, so in. I'm trying to make it make it into a question Uh, it sounds like the pushback or like the main practical application is to uh, in the fleshly tendency to be like the world and give our opinion on everything push back against that because as a citizen of the kingdom you're called to administer judgment in more selective ways specifically inside the church and your judgment or your speech in talking about God's laws and how they apply outside the church, they do happen, but they happen in very specific ways. Yeah. And we're supposed to be known as people who do good. Um, in thinking about you, you alluded to this. Like you went back to First Corinthians two with the, um, like just briefly for like the the spiritual person judges all things, but he's to be judged by no one. And how part of Paul's uh, processing through the passage in First Corinthians five is is uh, with like uh, basically applying the scope of that. Um, can you talk a little bit about what the, um, I guess like, a, essentially we're not supposed to be like an a- act 17, like the Athenians just like and foreigners, just hanging out at, like thinking about ideas all day right, and right. talking about them out loud for everyone and not doing anything good. <laughs> um, and at the same time, because we're, we're downstream of all that stuff and in, in, in our culture and how it's developed and interacted with sharing ideas to persuade others that's coming from like, good good Judeo-Christian, be peaceable, reasonable, open to wisdom um, types of persuading our neighbors, plus that bad stuff of like being productive, like unproductive in the ways we talk about those ideas or let them <laughs> air between people. When you're thinking about Facebook and like specifically as a way to apply judgments, what are some principles that you use to guide yourself?
1: What are some principles I used to guide myself? Um, trying to basically think and I'm sure I need improvement in this as well Ephesians we'll we'll get to Ephesians 4 sometime this year too Uh, but Ephesians 4 20 but no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such as is necessary may give grace okay if you can't quote it look it up hold on I used to have this one memorized I thought I did it's Um, written somewhere that's the author of Hebrews. Well, see, I, that's just knowing where the citation is. The author of Hebrews still quotes it word for word, even if he's forgotten the, the location. Ephesians four twenty nine. Let no corrupting talk come out of your. The problem is I memorized it first in the NIV and then the numeric, so I end up with like the NI, American Standard SV translation. <laughs> Let no corrupting talk. So what's great about this verse is it's the prohibition and the requirement. So you, you're, it's not... Simply enough to say, well, what's wrong with it? Or I'm just stating facts. Or it's true. Uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Literally no rotting talk come out of your mouths. But only, now there's the governor positively speaking, such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So what I should do is, before I speak, and typing is a way of speaking, is there any need for this? Is this going to bless anybody? Is it going to give grace to anybody? Um, now, maybe there is. Maybe there's a time to call something out. I mean, the problem is I think far too many of us think we're John the Baptist calling out King Herod. Um, and uh, I, if you think you're a prophet raised by God, okay, remember what happened to John. Don't be surprised if that happens to you. No, right? I mean, there's a sense in which he, he lived a prophet's life and he ended with a prophet's fate. Um, but also remember first Thessalonians, mind your own business. And so part of it's just that, uh, of rather than just voicing my outrage, we've, we like to grumble, we like to complain, and social media gives us a wonderful platform to do just that, in an echo chamber, because we can unfriend the people who push back, and so we can surround ourselves by people who say, preach it, brother, as you decry the evils of the person who cut you off, or the evils of this political candidate you don't like, or the evil whatever. And you can just vent your frustration and your wrath, and your friends cheer you on and say, you know, more power to them, you tell them, yeah. And it's it's ungodly. And so here we've got, give some thought. Was there any need for this? I mean, And those are basic questions to ask and stop yourself. Basically, don't type or speak without thinking. And as somebody who talks a lot, I, physician, heal thyself, fair enough. And this is... So it's more like what what decisions to. these are the principles I need to apply, and I hope and I 'm trying to apply, but I think are biblical and clear. Uh, there needs to be a warrant for us to speak if you haven't given any thought to speaking you're probably where words multiply, transgression abounds right so um, we, we ought to be given some thought to, to how we speak and why we speak and have purpose in how we speak um, that, that'd be my, my thinking on that oh. Jim.
8: You may may just have... uh, Am I coming through? You are. Okay. So you may just have addressed a little bit of what I had a question, but in this pervasive attitude of disagreeing is hate, I would be lying if I didn't say that I'm somewhat affected by that. And... So the question is, how does a person overcome that, that it doesn't become a hindrance to evangelizing relationships? Um, where in the Bible can a believer go to be uh, encouraged um, or given direction to fight that notion that they? that it can't be overcome,
1: you know? What I mean? um, that's, that's a great question. Let me give you a couple of thoughts that come to mind. One, read examples in the Bible. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are I think, wonderful examples of how to give honor and respect, be peaceable, and to flex where they should flex. O king, live forever. And they're giving honor. This guy kidnapped you, killed your countrymen, most likely castrated you, put you in his palace. O king, live forever, and he's doing good service. But then knowing, without flinching at all, yeah, I can't worship your statue, I'm sorry. And yet not, you know, like mounting a coup, but no, he knows where his lines are, and he doesn't bend there. And our God, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your God. And And so we see a model of respect and honor, and yet... Civil disobedience, where they need to disobey. The apostles, same thing. The early church, there were so many Christians that the soldiers arresting Peter and John were fearful. If they wanted to resist, they could have successfully, at least round one. You know, Eventually, Rome would have showed up and overpowered them. Um, you see that in 70 AD. But at least in the first instance, they could have said, Peter and John aren't going anywhere. And they would have won the first skirmish of that, right? Um, but they don't, and they, and they treat them with a certain amount of respect. Even Paul, repenting of cursing the high priest. So we've, we've got Jesus, of, uh, who made me a judge over you. I mean, that's just remarkable. This is the judge of the living and the dead, but not now. Right now I'm heading to Jerusalem, and so judging this dispute. I mean, he would have given righteous and perfect judgment. It very well could be that one of the brothers is trying to rob the other. I mean, don't just assume it's a trivial matter. It could be a grave injustice. It's not what I'm here for right now. It's not my purview. So those types of things are helpful reminders. The second is um, praying for the people we tend to despise. You know, I mean, I, because of the political climate we live in where we we vote, and I think it's even good and loving to help discuss and encourage others on righteousness in regards to policies and and things, so you have to. I think it's a fitting place to discuss politicians, and there are many politicians who I vehemently disagree with their policies. Um, and can I pray for them and not and beyond simply like Lord smash them? <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> no, I mean, but can I pray for these people? Because here's here's the danger, especially with politics. I'll use politics because it's an election year. Um, The danger is when you start viewing them as the enemy, it's really hard to love and evangelize the enemy. Now, yeah, I I think that if, if socialism, democratic socialism, becomes the political policy of our country, it'll do great harm. It will not promote human flourishing. It will do great evil, and, and so I would commend people not to embrace that as a political philosophy. That's my personal private citizen opinion. It's not the position of the church. But as I talk to people, that's what I would voice. I hope I can pray for and love people who disagree with me on that. I hope I can be respectful to them. I hope that um, I cannot hate them even while I think this is only born bad fruit anywhere it's ever been tried. Um, and what makes you think it's going to be any different here. I, I th- I, in other words, I'd like to think we can have a, fa- a good, robust discussion with vehement differences of opinion. This is a terrible economic philosophy or whatever, right? I think those those conversations may well be appropriate if you're, if you're having them with people or you're trying to persuade people. That's great. Can we, again, disagree without hating somebody? Or does everybody disagree? I mean, this is where we run into danger. If every person on the other side... Is a despicable, slimy, terrible person. You're reinforcing the notion that to disagree with someone is to hate them. That's what you're doing. And in other words, if, if you let others pick up on that, if whoever and and it's difficult because politicians in general are a slimy cast. Like they're, they're particularly difficult to love. People, fair enough. Um, and their their hypocrisy and their their changing with the weather and the wind is is so obvious in so many cases. But I want to be particularly careful in those arenas that I don't reinforce that notion that because I disagree with this person, I despise them. I almost want to bend over. Because I've seen the, the, the ugliness of when Christians do that and when the world starts to think our hope is not in a king and a kingdom, but with this, you know, my, my hope is built on nothing less than Trump's Supreme Court justices, right? Um, I do not want to convey that notion so because i've seen it conveyed and i think it's ugly i try to remind myself when i'm talking to bend over backwards the other way showing respect for people i disagree with um i'll, I'll use an example of someone who's not up for election former president barack obama i i, I disagreed with nearly all of his, his his policy um but i needed to be able to do it in a respectful way and even now as an ex-president I need to do it in a respectful way if If Daniel can go to a guy who broke down the walls of Jerusalem, stole his people, and gelded him, and say, "Oh King live forever," then I ought to be able to speak of Barack Obama with respect, even if i I'm decrying a particular policy and strongly disagreeing with another policy you know um that that's the challenge I, How to do it other than just being aware of it and seeing its ugliness when you see it in other avenues is uh is chal- I if anyone's got a tip, I'll be happy to hear it, but that's... It seems like to disagree anymore
8: is almost a certainty that there will be bad feelings, and argument, whatever. Yeah. So some of it's just the anticip- anticipation, and of course, if we really want to live peaceably, we just shut our traps and never say anything, but so right. you've got that.
1: Well, no, and, and it is completely legitimate in in right context to have these political discussions. Of course, it is right. I mean, um, it's it's. But we're just playing. We're playing into the stereotype when we lace our words with vitriol and cynicism, and the world thinks, "Oh yeah, they they know that to disagree with someone's to hate them." Listen to the way they talk about Obama or Bernie Sanders or Biden or whatever. Um, And so I think if anything, we should excel in being respectful and peaceable there just because we're having to push back against both the cultural expectation and, if we're honest, in many cases, our past performance, (laughs) you know. Um, So for both of those reasons, I'd encourage us to excel in speaking respectfully and peaceably and giving honor to all. And then, from that vantage point, have robust discussions where we, you know, for the good of our neighbor, Try to persuade people about what might be a wiser political schema or, or way of ruling. Sure, I don't think all political systems are equal, and so if you think you've got a wise one or a wise policy and you want to persuade your neighbor, great—that could be a very helpful discussion to have. You know, um, but let's let's do it peaceably without the vitriol and the snideness and the sarcasm, because you're just going to reinforce that. For all their talk, I know they hate me when they disagree with me. How do you know? Well, you should hear the way they talk about people who disagree with them politically. I mean, you just got to reinforce that. But, okay, we got time for one more question or thought. What we got? Oh, Carol Hardy in the back. Bring us home, Carol. Oh. I'm
9: going back to what what Chris was talking about. Yeah. And us old people think, boy, we're glad our kids are already long gone, you know, because a lot of that stuff we never had to deal with. Yeah. And um, I'm I'm thinking of... uh, what you said about you know not even wanting your not not going into the details about abortion and we don't want to we don't want to have our little kids have to be exposed to this stuff stuff at such an early age and I think of this this story some of you've heard it before Corey Ten Boom was on a train with her father when she was quite young and something she saw or read had prompted her to ask her father uh, daddy uh what's a sex sin big pause they're getting off the train and uh He has his big bag there full of his watch repair tools and things it weighs a ton so he says to her "Uh, can you carry this bag off for me and she she looked at him shocked and she said that's way too heavy and he said well that's why i'm not going to explain what that is now you're not big enough to carry it you're not old enough to carry it that's good and i don't know how that works when you got the lesbians living across the street Uh, but but some of these things, kids are so black and white, and you just don't want to expose them. You want them to think that there is not such a thing as abortion and, and lesbianism. and you know. Yeah. So I'm not giving a very clear and, answer. And, and,
1: the challenge, and the real challenge for me with my kids, because some of my older kids have started asking some of these questions, is to explain it to them in a way, and this is absolutely the challenge, where they aren't confused about what's right and wrong, and they don't despise other people. That absolutely, and they're going to get their cues from me. Oh my goodness, our kids will learn from us on these matters. Can I speak respectfully and say, Abner? some people, because they're unbelievers, are really confused about these things. And they, they're not submitting to God, and they, they think it's right, but it's wrong, and they're doing this. And making it really clear, this is about being in rebellion to God, this is about truth. But in a way that isn't like they're these awful, terrible people who, you know, because... Uh, I'll, I'll, close with, I'll close with one story from, from Ted Tripp about how kids pick up from us. He uh, tells a story in, I think, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands about how he had lived in a duplex with his family. And part of the, the – he got cheap rent was the agreement to shovel the walkway both for his house but the other half of the house with a woman, the older woman who was the landlady, lived and he was of the opinion that, that uh, the second there's a snowflake out, she'd go out and force his hand by trying to shovel. You sort of guilt him into shoveling, you know. And, um, and so she, he felt at times tempted to grumble about it. Well, one day, you know, there's a snowflake in the air, and she's out there with a the shovel, and his kid goes out and repeats what he'd heard his father say a dozen times before. But he told her, if you think that's going to make my dad get up and go out and shovel, you got another thing coming. Be careful what you say in private will be shouted from rooftops, right? So if my kids pick up from me that people who sin differently than me are to be despised and looked down upon and mocked and ridiculed and laughed at and butt of jokes they 'll learn that, and they can, and they 're going to learn that from my day to day life far more than they 're going to learn something from my sermon you know they're gonna, My walk 's going to talk louder than my talk talks, right. And so that's, that's, you know, explaining this to kids is precisely where it's really difficult because I don't want them to think this, is, this, this isn't a black and white issue. And then, of course, I but why would somebody, I don't know, son, but, you know, we're all but the grace of God going to be deceived. And he was trying to explain it to them so that they, they understand what's right and wrong, they understand what's true, and they also don't walk around despising and, and looking down. That at I find trying to explain things to my kids is a very humbling And challenging way but it's a good way of stripping all the stuff aside am I imbalanced with this and am I going to contradict what I just said two minutes later with a joke I tell or with some utterance in my mouth as as, of dismay look what they're doing now you know as you see the newest headline on the news you know Um, anyway time's up thank you very much and God bless